This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. All right, well, this morning I've entitled my message, Forgive. Now, this will be a difficult message for some people, but I hope that by the end of today, you will have some freedom in your life and some liberty in your life to, to not only to be able to forgive, but to be able to receive forgiveness as well. And so one of the things I've noticed when I read the Word of God is forgiveness is not an option. It's not an option. It's not one of those extra options that we get. If ever you buy a brand new car, there will be added on extras. Or in these days, if you build a house, there's all these, you get the base package, but then you get added on extras. You know, and, and some of the added on extras, I don't consider them to be extras. Like these days, if you buy a brand new car, some of the car brands will say, do you want the optional extra of a spare tire in your car? I look at that and I think to myself, how can that be an optional extra? Because it's not needed until you get a flat tire. It's not needed until the tire goes flat and then you realize that it's not an optional extra, it's actually an essential in life. And you might have been caught recently, Mark Turner, by having the flat tire in the back. When you get another flat, actually, I don't think it was you, I think it was one of the kids, wasn't it? Was it one of the kids? This, this is the process. If you get a flat tire, next day, go and get that fixed because there's nails out there. <laughs> There's screws out there on the road. And, and, and so for, in the kingdom of God, forgiveness isn't one of those optional extras. It would be like buying a car and not getting the motor. It would be like buying the car and not getting the driver's seat. It would be like buying the car and not getting the body of the, you know, you just get the rest of the bits, but you don't actually get the structure behind it. And so the importance of forgiveness I've experienced in life is that what it does is, it is actually a freeing agent in my life. It brings freedom. And so when I was thinking about forgiveness, I thought, I don't know whether we really understand what forgiveness is. You know, and what I did was I went to my Bible dictionary to get a definition of forgiveness. And so this is the definition that, the, that my Bible dictionary has for forgiveness. So it says this, forgiveness is the release on part of a creditor or offended party of any expectation that a debt will be repaid or that the offender will receive punishment for an offence. So basically what forgiveness is, is if Lynette has said you cannot buy any more fishing lures and I get offended at that and I think I need to forgive her, what happens is my forgiveness is extended to her as the offended party but what I do is I extend it without the condition that she changes. That's big. That's big. Because unfortunately what I do is I see a lot of people say this, I will forgive if that person changes. If that person brings um, you know, reconciliation, does this or does that. No, forgiveness is your duty. And often what we do is we put forgiveness on the other person that we're trying to forgive. Where it's like, because in the kingdom of God, there's some things, and, and Pastor Jim at the, at the men's breakfast the other week when he was talking about loving and submitting in the relationship of husband and wife, it was gold, Pastor Jim. The fact that you said um, that, you know, when it talks about how wives need to submit, that's the wife's part to play. It's not the husband's job to make her submit. 
The Bible actually says wives submit. It doesn't say husbands cause and make and force your wives to submit. And so in the kingdom of God, there's some things in our life that only we can do that we can't make someone else do. And forgiveness is one of those things. So as an offended party, then when I forgive, there's no expectation on my behalf that the debt will be repaid or that the offender will receive punishment. When describing the removal of an appropriate offence in this way, the removal does not condone behaviour or suggest approval for the offence, because I think that's important as well. So when I forgive someone because they've hurt me, then I let them go. I release them. I say, I am not going to hold this debt against you anymore. I'm not going to hold this offence anymore. But in it, that release is not saying I agree with what happened. It's not saying I approve of what happened. What it says is I am not going to hold it against you any longer. I think that's an important um, emphasis that we need to place. So there's a release that comes from forgiveness. We release the other person. We release the debt. We release the offence. But more importantly for myself, I release myself. I release myself because what happens is I do not have to carry that hurt anymore. I do not have to carry that um, pain anymore because unfortunately when we live with unforgiveness, eventually what happens is things start to build up in our life. So without forgiveness, there's an overflow that happens out of our life. And I've experienced this in my own life. There's an overflow, and that overflow, or in our life, there's always an overflow that happens. It can either be good or bad. For example, at the moment, Lake Hume is 99% full. I hear those figures and I get concerned. Honestly, I get concerned that Lake Hume is 99% full. Why? Because we're going to have snow water coming down the Murray system very shortly, and it's got to go somewhere. It's got to go somewhere. And at the moment, because Lake Hume is 99% full, three of the spillways, they're gushing. I saw some drone footage the other day. One of my friends took his drone up there and took some footage of um, Lake Hume at the moment. And it is just like a white waterfall coming over the spillway at the moment. And so what happens is it just takes a little drop to make it worse. It just takes another outpouring to make it worse. About 10 years ago, um, the, the weir at Elmore was 98% full. And this is why I get concerned for Lake Hume. It was 98% full. And then what happened in a 48-hour period, that area um, just that way of the Compassby River got eight inches of rain in 48 hours. And the authorities went, this water has nowhere to go. And so what happened was uh, Rochester got flooded because the water had nowhere to go. It just spilled. It didn't matter if they didn't want it to go. They couldn't stand at the edge of the weir and go, shall not pass. You shall not pass. So our damways are actually made so when they get too full, then there's actually a spillway and the water came over. And I actually went and did some chaplaincy work over in Rochester after the floods. And it was the first time in history that the Compassby River went over the train tracks. That's how much water came in, eight inches of rain in 48 hours when it was already 98% full. And so what happens in life, unforgiveness can be like that as well. 
there's an overflow that happens. You'll be tracking along fine in life and something will happen and all of a sudden it'll be the straw that breaks the camel's back. It'll be the thing that pushes you over the edge. And the, the frustrating thing in my life is if I'm living that sort of life and if I'm angry and if I'm frustrated, often the little drop of water that pushes me over causes me to affect the people that are closest to me rather than those who are actually putting the extra water into my life. So forgiveness shifts the focus. So what it does is, like, for example, if I hold on to something, if I hold on to something, it limits my ability of what I can do elsewhere. And then what happens is I go along in life and I get offended again and so I hold on to something else. And then what happens is I'm going to run out of things to hold on to. So we start living life like this. Come up here, Pastor Lynette. So I get home from work and I'm carrying all this unforgiveness in my life and it's like, you know, I come home and she says, how was your day? My day was great. Give me a hug. So the stuff, the stuff in our life gets in the way. And then what happens is when we understand that we need to let go of those things, it gives us the ability. I only wanted the hug. Got a kiss too. <laughs> Blushing. See, forgiveness actually shifts the focus. I'm not focused on this anymore. I'm actually free to live life. I'm actually released to live life. And then if Pastor Lynette's the one that has wronged me, I'm actually free to be able to be in relationship with her. Even though I don't approve of the action, I'm actually free to be in relationship with her because I'm not holding it against. So things like bitterness, disappointment, rage will be the result of unforgiveness. So let's go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. Matthew 22 and verse 36. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So Jesus puts out an order for us. Number one thing that we need to focus on, number one commandment that he gives us is to love him with everything we have, to be passionately besotted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all its demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So the two commandments are love God, love your neighbor. I reckon if we're harboring unforgiveness in any area of our life, it affects those, both those commandments. Not just the love your neighbor as yourself, but it actually affects the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because what we do is we actually lock off some of our heart. We lock off some of our mind when it comes to opening up. Because I want to tell you, he doesn't want unforgiveness in your life. Because unforgiveness directly, listen to me, church, this is important. Unforgiveness directly influences your relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It it's connected. I cannot hate my brother and say I love God. The Bible tells me that. I cannot have unforgiveness towards someone and be able to love God. The Bible says that that's impossible to do. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. Got a few scriptures. So you've got your scripture movement in. You're taking notes this morning. Preached at a Chuka last week and I said you're taking notes and they all went, nah. <laughs> Honestly, they just sat there and went, nah. Almost packed up and went home. <laughs> so, did you bring your Bible? They went, nah. So I shamed them. 
I said the other week I asked that question, you're taking notes, this is the other Saturday night, and the first four rows all had their notepad out, like the whole first four rows of the church all were taking notes, had their Bibles, and I went, we're a good church. <laughs> In saying that, do not judge. Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 37. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. I've got no problems in talking about taking notes and saying we should take notes. You know why? Because I take notes every message. Every message I take notes. Even those messages that I think, I know this, I take notes anyway because you know what? I've learned over the years I don't know everything. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will, it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Let's just pause there for a moment because we know these scriptures, but think about the gravity of what's just been said. It says, don't judge or, um, and, and you will not be judged. So basically, this, this is the way I think it works in life because I hate it when people come and say Christians can't judge because we're actually told to judge. We're actually told to weigh and to measure and all those sorts of things. But what it does is it says this, by the measure you judge will be the measure you're judged by. Scales and balances. It says do not condemn others or it will come back against you. And then it says this, forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you full, pressed down, shaken together um, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So we forgive in our life. I forgive in my life, not because I'm told to forgive, not even because of the benefits of forgiveness. I choose to forgive in life. Why? Because he first forgave me. There was a debt I could not pay. There was a debt that was beyond my capability of being able to pay. But he chose to pay that debt. He chose to forgive me first so that I'm able to forgive others. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. We know it well, do we not? In actual fact, some of you know the Lord's Prayer so well that you could quote it when you're asleep. There's a challenge in Matthew chapter 6 because we know the Lord's Prayer. We know it well. Yet what I want to suggest to you today is that verses 9 to 13, which is the Lord's Prayer, are actually underpinned by verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15 actually lay a foundation for the previous verses, really. And it says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. I look at that and it just rings and screams the importance of forgiveness in my life. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. You know why it's not easy? Because we don't understand what forgiveness is. Remember before when I said about what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is not counting the debt against the person or wanting the, the penalty to be paid by the other person it doesn't mean that I have to condone the action or accept the action. What it does is I'm not going to hold them accountable to the action. That's what forgiveness is. You might say, well, that's a tough call. How dare God say that? He's perfect. How dare God put that on me? But I want to tell you, there was an example that Jesus set forth for us to follow because this is one of the things I love about God is is he doesn't ask us to do something that he hasn't already done for us. 
that has already happened in his life. So let's go to John chapter 13, because there's an example for us to follow. John chapter 13. Even if you had to pay $50 for a cup of coffee in Kyabram, everyone go, you're mad. It'll never happen. It'll never work. Only in Melbourne it does. Different. So John chapter 13, verses 1 through to 5. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for the supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given the authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took his robe, wrapped the towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, unfortunately, our culture doesn't understand the significance of this moment. So what Jesus did was he took on the lowliest servant position in the house to be able to serve and to wash his disciples' feet. Now, we understand, because if you keep reading, we understand that the disciples had issues with it because Peter goes, you're not washing my feet, Jesus. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus actually says to him, well, if I don't do this, then you can't have part with me in the kingdom. And so Peter then does the Peter thing and go, well, okay, give me a bath. Wash all of me. And he says, no, I only need to wash your feet because that's the only part that needs cleaning in this moment. And so as I hear this, I think to, I, I get reminded of this. I get reminded that the hands that formed the world, the hands that formed the world, the hands that created Adam, the hands that created Eve, the hands that created the very things that we stand on, wash the disciples' feet, wash the feet of the very people he knew would betray him. Wash the feet of the very people he knew would desert him. Wash the feet of the very people that would let him down in the next coming days and weeks. What an example to follow. And this washing the disciples' feet, I believe, is Jesus even offering forgiveness before the offense has been made. Accepting them and saying, hey, you know what, I know you're going to mess up. But you know what? I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to get down on my hands and feet. I'm still going to take that lowly position, even as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, even as the great I am, even as Messiah, God with us. He was still willing to heal what was about to happen. What an example. What an example he followed. Uh, he set for us. Come on, church, we need to do the same. We need to be willing to forgive before the offense happens. We need to be willing to say, you know what? I know that in, there's some stuff in life that's going to happen to me that I don't like and I don't agree with, but you know what? I'm not going to hold it as an account to those people because when I hold it as an account, guess what? I pick up something else. 
that I've got to carry around with me. And then something else will happen. And then, I've, you know, what I've got to do is I've got to pick up something else. And my day-to-day walk becomes hindered. My attitude becomes hindered. My ability to love my wife and my family and those around me actually becomes hindered because of all the baggage I'm carrying rather than forgiving and allowing that baggage just to flow, just to be got rid of. Let's jump over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 actually contains one of my favourite encounters in the Bible. One of those encounters that I'm so glad that Jesus not only did, but John took the time to record, to remember, to write down. So John chapter 8, starting at verse 1, says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was, brought, he, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of, the, of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him in saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust, with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up and uh, stood up again and said, "All right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone." He stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. This poor woman was caught red-handed. She was in trouble. According to the law, she probably knew the law and she knew that this was going to be the last day on earth because she'd been caught. Can I just say sin catches us? Sin will eventually catch you out. Sin eventually catches you out. And so there's this moment where the teachers and the Pharisees, they grab this woman and it wasn't about the woman, it was about they were trying to entrap Jesus. They were trying to trick him And unfortunately, she was just a chess piece in their wicked, horrible game. And they thrust her in front of Jesus and says, the law of Moses says, because they knew that if Jesus says, no, let her go, then he hasn't come and fulfilled the law. And he knew, and because they knew that, and so they were trying to trap him in this moment. See, the law will say this. The law will say that. And if we're not careful when it comes to unforgiveness, we live our lives according to the law. But there has to be a penalty that's paid. But there has to be a penalty that's paid. That's the law talking in your life. But you don't understand, Pastor Trevor, the wrong that has happened to my life. Remember what forgiveness is about. It's not agreeing with the wrong. It's not saying the wrong was okay. It's about saying, you know what, I'm not going to hold that debt against the person anymore. And this is why forgiveness is so hard. 
because some of the stuff that has happened to individuals in this place have been totally unfair, should never have happened. Humanity is evil at the best of times. You know, the Bible talks about how the heart of man is wicked and deceitful above all things. And so we need to understand that the heart of man, the heart of mankind, it's a horrible place for people to be living out of outside of salvation. And so the law says this, and if we're living in unforgiveness, we're living according to the law. There has to be a penalty paid. You should stone that. You should do this. You should do that. Grace determines that there's a higher way to live. Grace determines. I'm so glad that we live under grace. I'm so glad that I am not living according to the law, but I'm living according to grace. Now, that does not mean that I can just do what I like and get away with what I like. You know, the thing I love about what Jesus said, he says, go and sin no more. He actually says to the lady, well, go and sin no more. Your accusers are gone. I'm not going to accuse you. So you can go and sin no more. He let her off. He says, my grace is going to cover that sin in your life. But you know then what he does? Because often when we talk about the woman caught in adultery, we stop at that moment. Go and sin no more. But you know what? The next verse, Jesus says, well, I'm the light of the world. He actually turns to the crowd that's still there. Because we get this picture in our mind that, that when the people who had the rocks dropped the rocks and left, that it was only Jesus and the lady standing there. No, you read the scripture. It actually says Jesus turned to the crowd and said this. There was other people there that weren't condemning her. There was other people there that weren't there saying she should be stoned. They were there going, I wonder what's going to happen. And he turns to the people who are watching and he turns to the lady who he said, go and sin no more. And then he says these words, he says, I am the light of the world. When you walk in the light, you will not sin. Because I want to tell you, for me to go and sin no more is a big ask. For you to go and sin no more is a big ask. Because there's been times in my life where I've done things out of innocence, but I found out later it's actually been sinning. And so when we walk in light, as he is in the light, then what happens is there's no darkness in our life. So John 3:16 and 17 says, for, God, uh, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God, God did not send his son into the world Uh, Sorry, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Isn't that great? We know it so well, but I tell you what, every time I read it, it's still great. He hasn't come to condemn, he's actually come to wash our feet. He's actually come to offer forgiveness. And remember what I said right at the start, we're able to forgive because he first forgave us. By the measure we use our forgiveness is the measure that we're forgiven back. So the important step for this lady was verse 11 where, where um, she says, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. And then he walks into that whole conversation about the fact that he's the light of the world. And when you walk with him in relationship, that you will walk in light. Can I get the musos back? If you forget everything else I say today, please remember that the more you hold on to unforgiveness lessens your capacity to be able to love others. The more you hold on to unforgiveness, it lessens your capacity to be able to move in the gifts of the Spirit. When you hold on to that stuff, it lessens your capacity to be able to be hands and feet of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, verse 10, very well-known verse, 
The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus talking, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Rich and satisfying life. You want rich and satisfying life, you've got to learn the art of forgiveness. Doesn't mean you agree with the offence, doesn't matter you agree, doesn't mean you agree with what's happened, but you choose not to count it against the person. Let's all stand up this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song, that last song that we didn't get to sing. We're going to sing this song, and if you want prayer this morning, especially if you're struggling with unforgiveness, we would love to stand with you and just believe for breakthrough in your life in those areas. Had an experience once when we were pastoring up in Mildura. There was a lady, and she had a really crooked back. And for years, she'd come out the front, get prayer for her back, and nothing would happen. And I preached a message once on forgiveness, and she came out the front, and she goes, oh, I've got really bad unforgiveness towards my mum. I said, well, okay, let's hand that over to God. And so we prayed a simple prayer, and as soon as she finished prayer, her back went crack, 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 crunch. Actually heard it. It was like one of those eerie moments. And her back was totally healed in that moment, totally healed in that moment. You know what it was? She was carrying all this bitterness towards her mum, and it was blocking it was affecting her actually receiving the very outpouring that God wanted to put into her life. Unforgiveness will do those sorts of things to us. But when we release, because you can't gather if you're already holding stuff. You know, you can't hold on. You might have had that moment with your kids where you're trying to give them something, but they've got something else and they won't let go. It's like, here, take this, it'll be better. This will be tastier. This will be nicer. It's called a carrot. Eat the carrot. It's orange. Orange is good. No, I want this. We're not able to receive unless we're able to let go. So we're going to sing this song, You Call Me Beautiful. If you want prayer for any reason uh, this morning, come out the front and we'll stand with you and pray. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabra. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabra.com.